Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, you'll hear two colleagues from Veldon Company explore the idea and concept of activity-based workplaces. So we've been hearing a lot about activity-based working, but when people think about that, sometimes their first reaction is, wow, that's open plan office or, you know, hoteling or hot desking. So what is the difference between uh, activity-based working and, uh, let's say, a open plan office or, or a hot desking? The main difference between activity-based working and uh, open plan office is the choice. Choice available for people to use different type of spaces for different activities that they uh, perform. Uh, as an example, if uh, you have an individual focus uh, task at hand, you want to find a space where you can really do that in an optimal way. And so there are various type of activities that people perform throughout a day. And in activity-based working, we want to provide those different type of spaces as well as different technology to support those activity in the best way. And in open plan, you actually don't have that choice. Mm, that's interesting. So you've had uh, about 17 years of uh, experience working with different sizes and types of organizations. Uh, what are some common challenges people might expect to face when bringing ABW into their company? Yeah, there are definitely some challenges uh, to overcome. Um, so thanks for, uh, for asking. And I guess that's why we're in business uh, anyway. So getting the, the leadership buy-in uh, up front and to be really clear on what they want to achieve, but also to help them and support them in building their own narrative uh, to be really clear on what the key messages are is, uh, is critical up front. And so we never really have done any projects where we didn't have direct access to the top leadership teams. Because, yes, we do believe in the grassroots approach and the bottom-up approach. You still need to have a clear vision and purpose and direction from the top of, uh, uh, as well. So that is, I guess, one of the, the key challenges uh, in the beginning. Um, the second challenge is uh, to get truly a collaborative approach or a holistic approach between IT, HR, and corporate real estate. And... As far as I can see, that still to date is, is one of the biggest challenges that uh, we are dealing with in these, uh, in these projects. And that, that is naturally because they often have their own budgets, they have their own key stakeholders, um, they have got their own you know, politics that they need to deal with. To, so to truly think from a holistic perspective and to be really open to the challenges or opportunities that lie in uh, each other's areas and that you might have to step back or step up is, is still um, a, big, um, a big thing. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, where I used to work, I also personally experienced a change from having assigned seating to uh, not having assigned desks anymore. So so I, I can definitely relate. If from the end user perspective, this change can be terrifying. Uh, it signals a whole lot more than losing just a desk. It, it's a whole lifestyle or work style, right, in this, in this context um, change. Um, so what have you learned from these challenges? 
if you can build a ABW implementation project from the ground up in, in the ideal world, uh, what would be your advice? Um, my main advice would be start creating platforms within the organization where dialogue can start happening. So where you can start involving people early on in this process, it enriches the experience. It also makes the change management process later on uh, much smoother. And so in that sense, change management literally starts already from day one. How you start communicating uh, about this, how you start to have the discussion between leaders and managers and between managers and uh, and employees. Um, having that, that dialogue and, and letting people explore for themselves what it means for them individually, because with any sort of change, there is this natural tendency to to think about you know the things that we are losing to think about the the, the challenges and um, it, it's a bit harder to focus on you know what can I potentially gain from this and and you know moving to a different way of working it, it can be as emotive as moving places you know moving homes if you have to live in a different city and in a different home, you probably imagine for yourself and you've been through it maybe a few times that does something to you and to your family and you have to start thinking about okay what is important to us is it a a big home with a big yard uh, for the children to play is it a small home uh, do we want to be in the city center where things are happening there, there's just a lot of you know decisions that you need to make um, so to really open it up to um, parts of the organization and to look for change ambassadors that, that can really help you to start, you know, talking about this and to have the dialogue with others is uh, absolutely critical. The second element I would say is, you know, you need to be mindful of what is actually the working culture or, or the leadership style that we have in place today. You need to look in the mirror and it is very critical that if we move towards an environment where we want to empower people to have freedom of choice and to make those decisions, you actually need to have managers that, um, as someone stated it recently, are architects of choice and how you can help people make that choice. And I sometimes like to refer to um, a research that um, was done um, about 50 years ago in the U.S. with a school, and the school had a fence around it. And from one day to the other, they um, decided to take that fence away, and they wanted to see what impact it had on the children um, playing around the school. And the impact it had is that the children were actually, the day after, playing closer to the school rather than further away. So if we take away boundaries or certain barriers, it doesn't automatically mean that people naturally know how to make different and new choices. There is a certain sense of guided autonomy and putting sort of new fences in place, and it can be mental fences, but to help people to understand you know, what choices they can make. That is a really good analogy. Uh, it's it's simple, and, and I think it makes a lot of sense uh, in, in the case of moving to a different location and how that could make people feel. 
So when it comes to uh, the concept of activity-based working, a lot of folks might think about it mostly from the physical point of view. How do you place your furniture in the office? How do you structure where the walls should be? What kind of technologies are you going to equip people with in, let's say, a conference room? Is that all there is? It sounds like it's more than that. Yeah, no, the, the, like I refer to the holistic approach, um, all these elements are important. Uh, and, and again, back to the home, it's like, what do you put in your home? And what you put in your home has an impact on how you behave in the space. But there needs to be sort of a ground understanding, um, you know, within the family, how do we want to use the space? And, and do we have sort of mutual understanding and agreement on how we use the different spaces in home? And that's the same for organizations. You need to have clarity on, you know, the, the vision behind it, um, the culture, the behaviors that we want to drive with it and how we show up in this new space. With less mutual understanding and everyone has their own individual uh, perception, uh, it might lead to um, a chaotic outcome. And that is actually what you are not um, after. Uh, Because we also know and we've seen and learned that people then by default go back to the old routines. And you don't want to end up with an old way of working in a brand new um, space. So I think there there are indeed there are some myths out there. I've heard people saying activity based working is about you know pushing us out of the office. It's it's about we have to work from home. Um, I think that's absolutely not uh, the case. It's just looking in a smart way of where can you do your work and let's open up the opportunities. And then working remotely or working from home could be one of those options. And and it can work for some, and it doesn't always work for everyone. But the beauty is that you have that freedom of choice. There are also uh, myths that um, this is purely about cost saving. You know, it's the organization who wants to save costs. Well, if you want to save costs, I would say don't even start thinking about implementing activity-based working. Because if you don't do it in the right uh, way, um, it will not be successful for you because it's not the panacea uh, in itself. There is quite a bit of effort and energy that you need to put into it. You can simply have a very standard office setup with just one series of desks and we all start hoteling. You know, that's the most efficient way probably of, um, of running your real estate. But then again, we know that that is not the most effective way of supporting your workforce because we don't do just one single activity and people are different in character. And therefore, you know, what works for one doesn't work for another. And if we don't offer choice, you don't um, allow them to um, um, be as effective and productive as possible. So the concept of ABW sounds really cool, and it sounds like it can bring organizations a lot of benefits. Um, but how do I know if my organization is ready for ABW? How, how do I know if uh, ABW is right for, for me and for my organization? Well, one way that we have seen being successful for organizations is to literally test and learn. You know, create a pilot um, and and see if... That pilot, you know, brings uh, uh, the benefits to to your people and and makes them more effective. Um, But also, not just from an outcome perspective per se, you can also use that pilot to learn, you know, how you would implement it in the organization and and how you would shape the, the wider rollout. 
So that that is definitely one way that an organization uh, uh, could um, you know could start looking into uh, adopting activity based working. I like the idea of piloting, and I think for lots of organizations interested in design thinking or agile working or rapid prototyping, the idea of piloting something, especially as big as actually changing your physical work environment, can be huge. Um, do you have an example of uh, piloting ABW on a smaller scale? What if I am an organization, but I only have, let's say, two or three floors of a building? Can I still pilot that? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, of course, there is the more obvious um, piloting of uh, changing the, the physical setup. Um, but um, like we have been talking about the, the different areas that come into play here, we can pilot uh, um, the new technology and how we use and adopt to the new technology. But we can also start piloting um, certain behaviors. So if we again have clarity on what we aspire to be the, the, the future work style for an organization or for a department, uh, or a team, um, there are things you can do even without uh, necessarily changing the physical space. Um, now, yes, the beauty is if you can do all three together, uh, that, that probably will have the most profound impact. Uh, but I think there is a, um, a nice opportunity in there just to start thinking about the work routines and how you actually do work as a team today. So is there you know, a minimum size for a pilot? From that perspective, not necessarily. If you want to do it in a physical space, you know, in my experience, about 50, you know, to 100 people is sort of a nice size um, to, um, yeah, to use for a, uh, a full pilot. So we often hear that change is, is really the only constant now uh, in, in a world where everything is constantly changing all the time and things are just getting more and more complicated. Uh, where do you see opportunities for, for corporate real estate or for other professionals out there in this field? Yeah, I think you, you're right that um, you know, we, we are experiencing times in, in which change is the constant and um, organizations are trying to be agile and, and adapt to it and uh, as a result other professions and, and like corporate real estate have to be flexible as well so I think we're maybe in the past you know once in a few years you had to make big corporate real estate decisions um, nowadays it is almost a, a constant question of how can we accommodate and support our workforce in, in the best way. And so looking for that flexibility is, um, is bigger. But equally, I actually think that the role of corporate real estate is more people-centric than it used to be in, in the past where it was more focused on the space. And to give you an example of that, we actually over the past um, two years, I've been working with two um, different banks. And for one of the, the, the banks, the corporate real estate um, was reporting into the finance department, uh, into the CFO. And so the, the program was also um, set up in following that sort of same structure. 
And I think that made a huge difference. And if I compare that to compare it to another bank, where it was decided that um, this whole um, workspace transformation program was sponsored by um, the head of HR. And I think, you know, the experience for our people is so important in making it an effective and an enjoyable um, experience that goes far beyond, you know, the the cost side of um, real estate. And so actually, I think moving towards the future, I'm, I'm a big supporter of corporate real estate, probably sitting closer or even underneath HR rather than in, in the area of, of uh, finance. And it, it might sound like a, um, a nuance, but it, uh, to me, it makes in practice a, a real big difference. So for organizations you've worked with, uh, you typically start with a survey uh, or a study of how people are actually working and how they're using their current office space. How often do you find that people don't use the office space to its full capacity? Yeah, no, that that uh, is an interesting question. And we do a lot of research um, into that um, ourselves as well. And it has shown us that um, we actually have a lot of missed opportunities here. Um, so individual desks are in that sense highly underutilized. Um, for about 40 to 50% of the time on average, people use an individual desk in, in our offices. And often what I say with activity-based working, and this is a little bit of a myth again, like you you want to have us use it in a more flexible way and you want us to share it and to be just more efficient and that's the cost focus again. But just think about it, that you have half of your office sitting empty because it's full of individual tasks, but your people are actually doing different type of activities. Then there is a huge missed opportunity to create the spaces that they actually need to be more collaborative, to be more um, innovative. And as a result, um, I, I think that the corporate real estate industry, again, has an opportunity here to focus more on the uh, effectiveness of the, the buildings that we provide rather than on the efficiency and, and you know, the cost uh, uh, focus. And... I would imagine that, um, you know, a market like Manhattan in itself, if we were to measure it, there is so much unused space. And we know how expensive it is to have an office here in Manhattan. So, again, it's not about the cost, but it's the, you know, the opportunity cost here, the missed, uh, missed opportunity and and I truly think that um, you know about thirty to forty percent of the real estate we could use in a much smarter way than uh, than we do today. That's a really insightful comment, and I can I can certainly relate to the times where I hear uh, my my friends or other colleagues working in different uh, industries complaining about not being able to book a meeting room, and it's pretty often that people find that they can't find the right type of uh, collaborative spaces, even if they have uh, actually quite a bit of office space. And I really like the comment about how corporate real estate can start to think about 
not just stuffing as many people as possible into uh, into one space, but rather what kind of space do people really need, and how can we, as organizations, uh, better provide that variety? This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.